Canada brought to you by Molson Brewers of Molson Export it keeps on tasting great good day everyone and welcome to another edition of from the point I'm Danny Lambert and I'm very excited to be back with you today for another journey into the world of hockey through the lens of another great book uh, if you didn't recognize that theme song that we uh, had for this week that's the hockey night in Canada theme song per 1982-81 time frame uh, what's uh, great about that is that uh, is a good introduction into the time frame that we're going to be talking about because the uh, subject of this episode's uh, book review is uh, the autobiography of a player who broke into the league about that time. So uh, just to get you in the mindset of what it's like to be back in the early 1980s in hockey world. So promoting diversity and combating racism has certainly been in the forefront of society, not only in the U.S. and Canada, but all over the world recently. With recent tragic events that fill the pages and screens of everyone's news, everyone's been forced to sort of look at their attitudes and behaviors when it comes towards the treatment of their uh, black brothers and sisters. And many have done a great job and realized that some things need to change, while others refuse to see the problem or resent being really challenged at all. The NHL, like other major sports across the world, have decided to take a stand, uh, say what you will about how effective that stand is or to what extent, but they have, and let their players express themselves freely to uh, go ahead and combat and bring attention to the, uh, the issue that is racism, uh, as well as taking the extra step to uh, launch uh, their own campaigns to promote diversity and fight racism. Not that that wasn't going on before, but it seems to be more concentrated and, and a little bit uh, better, to be honest. Now, say what you will if that's enough, uh, but you can certainly say it was an overdue step. Uh, in hockey, uh, there's been an influx of uh, the influx of new black players has actually been on the rise. You know, obviously we had the uh, second person who was taken second overall this year was a uh, black Canadian. That's that's pretty cool. So uh, and highest uh, black draft pick ever. And granted, it's been a slow rise though. But um, with any rise, you you have to think about the start of it and go back to the ones who really. Uh, came first and started the, the rise, so to speak. In the NHL, everyone knows who was first for the most part, and that's Willie O'Ree, who on January 18, 1958, made his debut with the Boston Bruins, becoming the NHL's first black player. O'Ree was a Canadian, uh, and after a few more black Canadians would break in the NHL, six to be exact, uh, it would still take another 24 years for a black American to make it to the NHL after O'Ree. Now, that's a long time to be sure, but let me ask you, do you know who that black American was? Because I, I think that that's a very important distinction, and I don't know if a lot of people actually know. The answer is Valmore Val James, who played his first NHL contest on November 1st, 1981 with the Buffalo Sabres and became the first black American to play in the NHL. At first glance at his stat sheet, you'd think his road to get there was much like any of the uh, wasn't much like any of the other players at the time 
you know, his resume was going up through the junior ranks and some time in the EHL and the AHL and then up with a big league club. But that's not even close to the whole story of what it took for Val James to get there. Um, and from what I learned, it's a great story. Um, and I, I really uh, am happy to introduce this week's book uh, and get to talking about it. And that is uh, Black Ice, the Val James story. Uh, Val's autobiography written by Val and John Gallagher. So let's go ahead and dive in. Black Ice, the Val James story chronicles the life of the first ever African-American-born player to play in the National Hockey League and the first to play for the Toronto Maple Leafs. We're very excited to have Val joining us on the phone right now. Val, first off, thanks for doing this. We appreciate your time. Well, thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Well, we're happy to have you. I want to start with the book. Uh, why did you want to put your sort of life story to pen and paper? Why was that important for you? Well, first off, it was, uh, it was something that I hadn't done. And it was also a therapeutic aid for all the uh, the things that I had gone through over the years. So it, it was a big help in the end. It, it got me clear of everything that was in my mind. So it was it was very nice. So what you heard right there was a uh, 19, 2019 interview with uh, Val on uh, NHL Now with Jackie Redman, uh, who asked him what his reasons were for actually writing the book. And I really liked his answer there and how he talked about how it was therapeutic for him to, to go over things and sort of uh, relive those things to sort of work them out and, you know, also just tell his story for the people that were coming behind him. So, um, you know, very, very uh, pointed and very, uh, very good thoughts from Val right there. But as alluded to earlier, Val James was a pioneer of the sport of hockey, but he's largely forgotten. I mean, once again, um, some of you out there may not even know that he was the first black American to play in the NHL. It just seems like the impact of his accomplishments are largely overlooked in the uh, shadow of people like Willie O'Ree. Uh, and not to take away from Willie, but I really do think Val's story is, is one that is uniquely American and one that shows a different and much more winding path to get to hockey's highest level. James was an enforcer in every sense of the word, and that was his ticket up the ranks, whereas O'Ree was a scorer, and while that was a tough road in and of itself, it just wasn't quite the same. Uh, Val had to do a lot of uh, physical work, whereas O'Ree, being a scorer, just had to try to put things up on the score sheet and let the merits of his hockey skills get by. Uh, their roads are similar because of their race, but different because of their positions and skills. But what I loved reading about Black, what I loved about reading Black Ice was that Val's story is one of sheer determination. Uh, the late start he got in life, learning to skate at age 12, and unfortunately his race conspired to keep him from playing professional hockey. Every page seems to be a description of that battle and the tools that he had to use, uh, you know, being his strength, size, and more importantly his determination uh, to make it up the ladder to get to hockey's highest level. He talks about fights on the ice as an enforcer, but most of all, he talks about his fights on and off the ice against prejudice, which are extremely compelling and uh, stick out to the reader, to anybody really uh, who would examine the book. Uh, the language in the book is extremely colorful as well. I have to, I'll have to start by saying that too, which means if you get the audio book, uh, don't play it in the car in front of the kids. Uh, when, and, uh, but for the reader, it's essentially to portray not only the gravity of the battles and hijinks that he's describing, but it really made me feel uh, like the story on the page was more authentic and not really watered down. That it was it was straight uncensored from Val, which was great, and uh, I really like that. 
since he was an enforcer, the description of the fights he was in uh, sort of dominate parts of the books. Uh, a lot of a lot of talking about fights with people that um, you don't even really probably recognize unless you're really a, a buff of uh, uh, the minor league hockey ranks in the 70s and 80s. But that's fine. Uh, it also makes you realize that Val remembers a lot, which I think is kind of cool. I mean, uh, the blow-by-blows of some of those fights are just amazing what he recalls. And since he spent so much time in the minors, uh, I also feel like this book was really great in a way because you see what it's like to struggle making a living in the minor leagues and trying to rise to the NHL level. Uh, many players' autobiographies that you'll find that you'll read uh, miss this or gloss it over completely because most of the players who get to write autobiographies didn't have to struggle as much down in the lower ranks like uh, Val did, uh, which is something you'll definitely uh, see if you read the book. Also, if I might, before we finish up and get to the first period, uh, I just want to mention that Black Ice was not published until February of uh, 2015. Now, that's a long time to wait to tell your story, especially one as compelling as Val's, but I'm sure he was ready to tell it way before he was offered to do so. Add to that the fact that when Val played his first game in the NHL as the first black American, it simply kind of passed with almost little to no recognition. Pretty much, you know, you can argue no recognition. It's a wonder that you might not have heard of Val James. No one was telling a story till recently. Sure, the NHL and the Sabres are trying to make amends now, as even as recently as this week. Uh, but is it enough? And why did it take so long? So to start this contest, it's only fair that we go all the way back to the start and see exactly why Val James is one of the stories that's unique to hockey, but still common to many black Americans. Stand by, the first period's up next. I, I, was, I was eager to ask you, though, how did you get involved in hockey? Like, what drew you to hockey as a young kid? Well, that's quite a story. Now, I was, uh, I was a pretty decent soccer player at the time, and I was going with my mom all the time. So my dad was working at the Long Island Arena in Long Island, and uh, he brought me, uh, bought me a pair of hockey skates, which he gave to me and asked me if I'd like to try the sport. So I did try it. You know, I was terrible at first. I didn't start all of this till I was 13. Had no idea what hockey was, no hockey sense, no skating abilities, nothing. So um, I tried it out. It was it was a challenge. You know, you know, we can run fast on your feet and that, but uh, once you get on the ice, it's a totally different story. So first I had to learn how to control all of that. So in order to do that, I had to go out in the ice after I was able to stand, well, I mean, actually what they did was they put me on an all-star team and I couldn't skate. And they did that because my dad ran the rink and they, I, they probably figured <laughs> they could get super ice time, right? So but from that point, once I got out with the all-star team, it was, it was more embarrassing than anything else because the play would be going one way, I'd be going the other way, then I'd make that big tractor-trailer turn to get back into the play, and it would come back <laughs> up. So it's like uh, I spent more time trying to turn and keep up with the play than anything else. So from that point, I was I was embarrassed. I was every I was mad. So I decided I'm going to put as much time in as I can. So in the summers, I'd go to work with my dad at the rink, and then uh, seven o'clock came, I'd go on the ice. I wouldn't get off the ice until one okay. a.m. So what you heard right there was just a continuation of the same NHL Now interview that uh, I featured um, before the warm up, which. Uh, this time, instead of Jackie asking the question, it's E.J. Heratic, and he asks uh, Val what drew him to hockey. And I think that's really one of the more compelling parts of the book and stories inside the book, especially at the beginning, is that Val got his start pretty late, but he was so determined to get good at hockey, wanted to challenge himself with the game that he overcame, and he really uh, 
really took the steep learning curve seriously and, and practiced and, and became better. So uh, that's really what the subject of the first period is going to be about. So let's, let's dive into that. So starting from the beginning, Valmore James was born in Ocala, Florida on February 14, 1957. Now let me say that again. Val James was born in Ocala, Florida. That's not really a hotbed of hockey. Sure, Central Florida is hot, but how is that? Um, how is it that a man who was born to black parents in the late 1950s in Central Florida made it to the NHL? Well, that journey starts with Val's dad deciding that Central Florida held little opportunity in the 1960s for a young black family to live a prosperous and happy life. Go figure. Uh, we all know that uh, at that time, Jim Crow was still uh, alive and well, and the racism behind it was uh, not really subsiding much, if at all, at the, in the Deep South. So the patriarch of the James family decides to uh, find a more opportune spot for his family in the country and got and that's when the uh, James family found themselves uh, living in the rural farmlands of Long Island uh, when starting when Val was about three years old. So soon after moving Val's dad started toiling in the farms doing odd jobs and things because like I said at that time Long Island was largely uh, uh, rural and had a lot of farmland. Uh, and then eventually he fell into and settled into a new job as the operations manager for the uh, Long Island Arena in Comac, New York, uh, which Val describes as he was kind of the, the, the man who fixed everything around the rink and, and, and ran the place. So it was kind of cool. But Val begins describing at that point in his book how his jo dad's job allowed him the access, the 24-hour access to the arena and its ice surface so he could go into the arena and practice just about any time he wanted for free. I think that's an important fact because even Val was quick to point out that his dad's access is what allowed him the ice time to get his skating in order uh, in, in a good place so that he could join a local youth hockey program. Had Val had had to pay for access to the ice like many uh, young young kids have to do, it's doubtful that his family would have had the means to pay for it. I mean, that's a typical story for families and, and why access to hockey for many is simply not an option. Uh, and furthermore, it's a big reason why many say diversity in the sport is lacking, but uh, you can see Val had an advantage and he took, and he, and he took it and it worked out for him. But with that access, but with, what Val did with that access, like I said, what he needed to do, he practiced, he'd fall over, he talks a lot about practicing and falling over, and, and but keep, but he kept getting up. He kept brushing himself off and eventually got himself successful enough to where he could make the uh, youth local youth hockey squad, the uh, Long Island Youth Bantam Duck Ducklings All-Stars, uh, which was affiliated with the uh, Long Island Ducks at that point. Val admits that this was largely due to his dad's position as the manager of the arena. I mean, he, he, he realizes what the access did for him. Uh, the Bantam team was skilled traveling team, so, you know, basically the nascent James was a bit out of place. But as he described it, the team was happy to have him on the team uh, to get the discounted ice that his father could provide. So they were willing to, you know, make a little sacrifice, let him learn on the job a little bit, teach him a few things because he brought a few things to the table. Once again, an advantage that Val took, took, took you know, full, full, you know, full advantage of. It was at this moment, though, playing for the Ducklings that Val said uh, he encountered a situation uh, which he called, quote, the moment that he truly learned he was black. It was on a traveling tournament in Michigan when an opposing team's family member told him, quote, who told you it was okay for an N-word to play ice hockey, among other racially charged statements. 
Val continues on to say that that was that was his first time. That was the first time that he really encountered hate simply because of the color of his skin. Sure, his parents had warned him, but he just hadn't really encountered it just quite yet, and especially in that hateful fashion. Um, what that made me think of is, um, and you know, all the other stories that you, racism you've probably heard. You probably heard two things that stand out uh, about this episode of Val's. The first for me was that it seems like. And a lot of the memoirs of famous black people, usually they usually have some story like Val's where they all remember the first time someone uh, said something truly hateful towards them. I mean, it sticks out. It's unfortunate, but uh, that's a shared experience with many, many young black people. Um, it just shows you that the threat of racism, unfortunately, gets uh, woven into the lives of young black people pretty early. Uh, and it shapes, uh, you know, their lives from then on for, you know, and something that they don't forget, uh, unfortunately. Uh, Val explains that until that point, he knew he was black, but as Val describes it, he said he had no reason to doubt that what his parents told him about his skull, that the color of his skin made no difference and uh, he could do whatever he needed and wanted to do in life. Val's encounters with racism would only continue on his way up as he navigated the local ice hockey leagues in New York then in high school and then uh, uh, when he was playing in Long Island and then even when he went uh, north of the border to try his luck in Canadian junior hockey. Most would think that Val would have found a bit of relief in Canada from the racism that he saw in the States, but it, it only took one game for an opposing player to call him the N-word uh, in, in junior, his first game. As he had done many times before, Val dispatched the insulter with viciously when describing the fight, Val says this, quote, there were two things that could send him over the edge. One was tagging him with a punch, and two was calling him a racial slur. As he saw it, that was straight disrespect. Val also goes on to say that, I faced more racial heckling and cursing on the road in Ontario than I ever did back home in New York. That last statement stood out to me for sure. I think most people before reading Val's story would figure things would be better racially in Canada for a young black hockey player. Granted, this was still the early 1970s, but it really shows you that racism can live well anywhere. And it just wasn't the players, it was the fans. As Val said, he could deal with the players on the ice and their team by striking back with his fists. But the fans in those different arenas, they really did get to him because he couldn't respond in kind. He had to sit back there and take their heckles and hatred. Uh, and didn't have a, an open way to retaliate. Another issue uh, Val said he had and some of his friends uh, coming from New York is just integrating with his team, um, being Americans, because at that time in junior hockey, there just wasn't a lot of Americans, period. Uh, so he found that to be somewhat of a you know big enough obstacle in addition to his race to mention, although it ended up working out well and uh, they integrated into his team uh, very, very well. Still, Val made a name for himself on that first junior team in the Ontario Hockey League, and he was able to move up to major junior. Um, he was looking to make a move up, and he certainly was in demand, uh, as many squads were taking notice of his fighting prowess and his toughness, um, on, and then his improving offside, upside on the offensive side of the puck, which was definitely growing at that time. And he seemed like he had a great situation when uh, he was asked to try out for Sault Ste. Marie in the OHL. Um, but that summary fell apart and he left him 
it kind of left him in a little bit of a lurch, but it didn't take him long to uh, get in with uh, camp and make the roster of the Quebec Ramparts of the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. So with Quebec, he found individual and team success. He became one of the best fighters in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League and managed to put up uh, 33 and 32 points respectively in his two seasons with the Ramparts. Now, that's not crazy elite-type junior offensive numbers, but those are still respectable. Uh, but most of all, well, he was a key member of the Quebec team that went to two President's Trophy finals in two years, winning the first and losing the second. It was with this success with it was this success with the Ramparts that led Val to the precipice of his NHL dream when the Detroit Red Wings drafted him in 184th overall in the 1977 draft. Now, for those of you who don't know, that means that he was second to last as there were 185 picks that season. Sure, he still found the same kind of racism from opposing teams as he found in Ontario Junior B, but he dealt with it and it used he in Major Junior, but he dealt with that. And as you can see, he was successful and he was about ready to uh, go on to his dream of playing in the NHL. But just as when seems things seemed to be uh, going really well for Val, uh, racism would rear its uh, head and challenge him in a way that would forever change him and, and almost cost him everything he worked for. So the story goes in the summer of 1977, Val, like many uh, recently drafted rookies, was invited to the Red Wings camp in Kalamazoo, Michigan. There, like many of the NHL rookies before and after him, he knew he had to do something to stand out among the hundreds of players at that camp to secure a roster spot in either the uh, big club or their AHL affiliate in Kalamazoo. On the second day of camp during a scrimmage, Val lined up uh, to scrimmage against an old junior hockey foe who had really disrespected him during the Memorial Cup tournament in his first year with the Ramparts. During that series, uh, James had had multiple run-ins with a player on the new Westminster Bruins named Don Hobbins, who James said were hurl racial slurs at him and then not face Val when confronted about it. During that two-game series, Val tells that he had enough, he had had enough and he told Hobbins in the uh, handshake line at the end, you're a fucking punk. When I get the chance, I'm going to tear your fucking head off. And unfortunately, Hobbins, and unfortunately for Hobbins, that chance never came. So, uh, or fortunately for Hobbins, that chance never came. Still, when Westminster won the series in the handshake line, Hobbins was br trying to brush things off, saying, no hard feelings. To which Val replied by swatting his hands away, remember you little fuck, I will see you again someday. And as the story goes, he did. And as fate would have it, on that second day of camp, Val lined up to take the face off with Hobbins in that scrimmage at Red Wings camp. With, unresolved issue, with the unresolved business of the Memorial Cup playoffs of two years ago fresh in his head, Val decided to make good on his promise and try to rip Hobbins' fucking head off. Val went hard into him, and Hobbins just stared at him. And Val said, You got something to say now, you fucking punk? After a few cross-checks back and forth that led to a dropping of the gloves and an absolute pummeling of Hobbins by James, it got so bad that Coach Bobby Crom needed to kick Val's skates out from underneath him to get him to stop pummeling on Hobbins. James said the echoes of the terrible things that were said by Hobbins were in his head and fueled him to give Hobbins the relentless beating that he received. Val was told to leave the ice, and the following day he was cut from the Wings camp and sent to the Kalamazoo minor league camp. He only lasted a few days in Kalamazoo's camp and was cut from the Red Wings organization altogether. It looked like standing up for himself and trying to make sure that he wasn't a, vi wasn't a victim, 
might he might have lost his dream that way uh, of playing in the NHL because of uh, losing the opportunity with the Red Wings. And to me, that's the thing with racism. It affects people so deeply and for so long that you can see where uh, it definitely uh, affected uh, Val right there. I mean, James was so hurt by Hobbins that he just wanted to make sure that he put things in the right and was willing to risk his personal dream to settle this hurt in his mind. That, to me, is the effect of racism and the effect that those of us who don't understand, it's the lingering effect that lasts for so long and so deep. But that wasn't the end for Val, fortunately. Uh, his dad, being a former coach in Long Island and arena manager, he'd made a ton of friends in the hockey world, and that helped Val get back on his feet immediately. Val was able to get on with Sioux City of the USHL, which was a senior league team. And for those of you who don't know uh, minor, minor league hockey, senior leagues are often considered the uh, last chance leagues. So he still had a chance. He played the rest of the season there and then uh, in Sioux City and went, even went up to Mississauga, Mississauga to finish out the uh, rest of the season till the summer. And so Val found himself back at home uh, at the bottom and he knew he had to work his way back up. But once again, he had some help from all the hockey contacts his dad made over the years. And most of all, he had the drive uh, to get him there, which had gotten him this far and would work to get him through that long road that he was about to bark, embark on to get back into the, uh, into the mix to, for a slot inside the NHL. And that road and Val's entry to the NHL is what we're going to talk about in the second period up next. The box mayor. Now we've got a battle. Here's O'Reilly and Val. No, no. Yes, O'Reilly and Val James, and he levels O'Reilly. I have no idea how that one began, but I could guess. O'Reilly and Val James, and people have been wondering, bad about the Buffalo Sabres and inserting Val James into the lineup. There you see it. Not many good punches being thrown. Really, Val James. All right, so what you heard right there was uh, one of Val's first fights against one of the toughest fighters ever in Terry O'Reilly of the Boston Bruins. Uh, and as you can tell by the recording, and I recommend that you watch it on YouTube as well, uh, Val came out victorious, which highly improbable, but still very cool and showed you what a what an actual great fighter Val was um, to go ahead and do that in his first NHL fights. And that's really what I want to talk about uh, in the second period is Val's road to the NHL and what it was like for him in those early days. So Val spent that summer uh, after playing senior league hockey wondering if he should keep up his dream of playing in the NHL. After all, as, after all, he was he had all but accomplished it uh, and really had gone very far in a dream by even playing junior hockey and getting to major junior and being an NHL draft pick. Still, when he asked by his father if he was satisfied and could move on, Val said no, he wasn't. He, he wanted to keep going. But he knew it would be tough. But in the end, Val decided to take the route uh, that was going to be very hard through the lowest levels of the minor leagues to work his way up. That road would start in the fall of 1978 in Erie, Pennsylvania. The Erie Blades had just moved from Long Island to play their first season in the NEHL. And as fate would have it, James's dad had a connection through the Long Island Hockey Mafia that got Val an invitation to training camp and, and to compete for a roster spot on the Blades. This was absolutely no guarantee of a job once again, but Val knew this is where he needed to start, so he put his time and efforts into it. 
and being an enforcer, he knew he had to make an impact and do it quickly. The Blades were an affiliate for the Nordiques at the time, who were in the WHA, and with the Southern Hockey League uh, having just folded, competition was going to be stiff to make the team. It didn't take long for his first preseason game with the uh, Blades for Val, uh, who was sticking up for teammates with, and with direction from his head coach, took on three opposing players, pummeling each of them. Sure, he got thrown out of the game, but after the game, in his after the game, his head coach at the time, Nick Polano, made it clear that Val would be making the team after showing his medal as an enforcer and sticking up for his teammates like that, uh, which is pretty cool. In Erie, James found a home and a second team, and a team that was on the rise. So that the Blade, so much so that the Blades won the league championship in Val's first season. His performance on the ice was so admirable that he recorded 40 points in that first season in 67 games played. But it didn't end there. Because James would play two more seasons with Erie, they would also win the EHL championship in two of those years as well. Uh, perhaps, mo- perhaps most of all in Erie, though, the self-reflection and mentorship that Val took his, he took his game to a new developmental level. And he really credits Nick Polano with giving him the time and the coaching to help him improve his game and move past simply being an enforcer and work on being more of an all-around player. Val was starting to show promises of being ready to, for a climb up the rungs of the minors as he worked his way back to the NHL. What I gleaned from his time in Erie was that Val was still faced with much of the racist issues that he had in junior hockey from the fans and the opposing players. But what stuck out to me is how Val started to think about how to deal with it. It's almost fate that he was an enforcer because it was job it was his job to smash anyone who disrespected him or his teammates. The racism that some tried to get away with uh, and put under his skin was only fuel to help him uh, you know, as an enforcer <laughs> and do his job more efficiently. I think the difference in his thinking uh, from when he was in junior till now was that there was a time and a place to get even and that he uh, had to do it when it suited the team, not when it was best for him. And as Val puts it, Polano helped him realize what were good penalties to take and which ones were bad, when it was good for the team, when it was not so good for the team, and that there would always be a time and place. Val also describes how he mentally prepared for the racism before each game that he would inevitably encounter, and sadly that helped him deal with it when it came. He also started to compartmentalize the racism as well. He describes thinking that the people who were throwing the slur and hurling the slurs at him must really hate their lives so much that they would seek to uh, tear at his life and happiness. He knew that the fans and their chants and their racist posters and waving of fried chicken could be dealt with, couldn't be dealt with with his fist, but if, if he was to try it, the cost would be too high. So he dealt with it by knocking around the opposing uh, fans as players and then uh, making sure that they felt the hurt that he, he was feeling from their fans. As Val put it, no matter what the opposing fans did to him, he was not going to let them for, uh, force him out of the game he loved. James was growing into a true professional, and by being a great teammate and a coachable player, he got his next boost up the ladder. Nick Polano was hired by the Buffalo Sabres organization to be the Sabres assistant coach in the summer of 1981. Immediately, Polano pitched Val to Sabres GM Scotty Bowman, who signed him to a contract, and like before with the Red Wings, he was invited to training camp for a shot 
to make the Sabres 81-82 team. Val had paid his dues in Erie, grew as a player, and now is back in the mix to make it to the NHL. It's also worth mentioning that Val did a lot, uh, did it a lot on his own merit, as he describes that later in Sabres camp that Bowman actually asked Polano, who, who's that black guy? That speaks to me volumes, because you could be tempted to say that race played a factor in his signing, but by not knowing it was clear to Bowman that James was black, it, it, it really showed you that it was his ability that got him there and not his race. Val admits that this, this, his time in Sabres camp was brief that summer, but he was still happy to be squarely in the organization with a contract in hand as he reported over to the AHL affiliates camp. The Rochester Americans were a great place for Val to land, and, as he'd, and he'd have a chance to play and learn from one of the most successful bench bosses in history, Mike Keenan. Iron Mike was in his second season with Rochester and was certainly a young coach with a rising stock despite the fact that the Americans were not performing well on the ice. Not to mention, he was a disciple of Bowman who earned Scotty's trust and mirrored his approach in the game many ways. It's obvious that Val liked playing for Keenan a lot. Keenan made it clear to him from the outset that his job was to make his teammates' jobs a lot easier by keeping the other team from harassing the scorers on the team. James's role as the enforcer in the early to mid-80s cannot be understated, while in today's game we see a lot, a lot less fighting uh, and a lot less enforcing. In the 1980s, it was an essential part of any hockey team. Keenan thought that Val was so successful that he was quoted as saying that Val was the best of all the heavyweights in the AHL at that time, and his role as a deterrent was key to the Americans who started to turn things around in Val's first season with the squad. But playing for Rochester wasn't the best thing that happened to Val in the 81-82 season. The Sabres took notice of Val's toughness and decided that it was time to see what he had and called him up to the big squad to play a single game in Buffalo against the Flyers. So on November 1st, 1981, Valmore James became the first black American to play in the NHL. There was no fanfare, no recognition in the moment. Val didn't even play until the last minute or two of the third period when he got a quick shift. Val recognized right there that he was the first black American to play in the NHL, even if no one else did or, or cared. It was an important point. Something like that should not be downplayed or ignored or admitted Let's save, the, let's save the discussion on that for a little bit later as to why I think that happened or uh, what the impacts of that were and kind of how Val felt about it. So later in the, late in the season, uh, so Val goes back down to Rochester for a little bit, and then late in the season, seeing a need to show some more toughness, the Sabres decided that they, uh, that they needed uh, to call Val back up uh, again late in the season to join the Sabres. Although he dressed... Although he dressed, when he dressed, he didn't get much ice time. In fact, in some games, he was on the bench, but he didn't even get a single shift on the ice. He didn't score many points in the total seven games that he played for the Sabres. That, he didn't score any points in the seven total games he played for the Sabres that season. But he did have two fights and brought a toughness to the Sabres that Bowman felt they were lacking. Uh, one of those fights was the one I uh, recorded, right, uh, played right before the beginning of this period, and that was against... Uh, Boston tough guy Terry O'Reilly, who was, and that was not an easy win, and we all know that. Unfortunately, though, it was during this momentous time that James encountered one of the worst episodes of racism that he experienced in his life and playing career. An episode that was so strong that it's captured in the prologue of the book, 
and later again in chapter 22 when James on the team bus after the game in Boston against the Bruins found himself the target of racist Bostonians who were hurling bottles, one which broke the bus's windshield and shouting, send out the N-word. Val said that when he went up to the front of the bus to oblige the mob in hopes of setting them straight, uh, Bowman told him to sit down as the bus drove away. Val said he was hurt so much uh, with that episode that he cried. Hurt because they tried to ruin his enjoyment of playing in the NHL and getting his turn, uh, you know, and not getting his turn to uh, return the hurt that uh, insulted him. And it really just kind of stuck out to him that he wasn't able to stick up for himself in front of his team. Uh, he was hurt, but he didn't see, they did, he was hurt that they just didn't see his accomplishments or even uh, as a player who overcame so much. They just decided to hate him, and, and it really stuck out to him, and I think that's why it's an important part of the book, that episode. The next season, in 1982-83, the Americans improved dramatically, winning the AHL regular season title as they went on to win the Calder Cup that season. James contributed as a normal way physically, but what he's most proud of that season is that he scored the game-winning goal to win the Calder Cup in the finals to give the Americans the AHL title. Val would last two more seasons in Rochester after that and decided that at the end of the 1984-85 season, he might need to find a new home after seeing his playing time go to the lowest time ever of 55 games. That was a lot had to do with some changes in management and coaching. So the new home he found was with the Toronto Maple Leafs organization, who assigned Val right away to their AHL affiliate in St. Catharines. Val found that he was looking found what he was looking for in St. Catharines as the in as the Saints. His new he found his uh, new coach John Brophy, who was a longtime and former Long Island Duck and mentor and coach from Val's younger days, uh, and it was great friends with his Val, so with Val's dad. So it was uh, it was a good situation for him. Val played every game that season, and in the next season, Brophy was uh, moved up to be the Maple Leafs coach, and Val got his next shot in the NHL. Brophy had called Val up on November of 1986 for a week, and he played four games for the Leafs. In his first game at Maple Leaf Gardens on November 24th, 1986, Val had set another first as he was announced as the first black player ever to skate for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Sure, there wasn't a lot of fanfare, but to be recognized this time meant something for Val, for sure. Uh, Val says in his stint that his ability to fight was hindered by a streak of unwilling opponents because, as you know, as an enforcer, it's a two-way proposition, and the young guys have to let the uh, the old guys basically uh, give them a shot, which he wasn't finding a whole lot of this time around in 86. Val says that in this stint, his ability to fight was, uh, you know, basically hindered by unwilling participants and but he really points to one specific event that made Brophy upset and sent them back to the minors uh, rather quickly. Brophy wanted Val to fight Basil McRae in Detroit and as Val describes it it just didn't materialize in the game the circumstances were there. He points that to he points to that as the unfortunate situation that looked like he defied Brophy and uh, his reason for being sent back to the AHL although according to him Brophy denied that that was the reason even to this day. After going back down to Newmarket, uh, where the Saints were now, instead of St. Catharines, Val finished off the season with the Saints and was ready to come back for another. But after a meeting with uh, Leafs GM uh, Jerry McNamara, uh, where Val asked if he could see, uh, see if McNamara could find a bigger role for him on the team other than just doing the rough stuff, 
McNamara said that even if I try to, he said, he said to James, if you even try to touch that fucking puck, I will bury you so deep in the minors that you won't be able, we won't be able to find you ever again. The idea that he was simply a fighter and that there was no way to be recognized for his gains in the other part of his game made Val decide that maybe it was time to move on from the Leafs. If they just saw him as a hired enforcer and didn't see him improving on the ice, he didn't know if he could continue to live that life and whether or not he was really valued by the organization. After that, Val decided to play in the IHL, and then after eight games for Flint, he made it back to the AHL with Baltimore. He played only nine games there until during a game he was run into the boards and dislocated his shoulder. After surgery to repair the muscles in the shoulder, Val decided it was time. The toll on his body and mind was too much. Aside from the shoulder, he said that he had to think about the types of taunts and racisms, racism he would encounter, and that was something he was just wanting to leave behind. As he said in the book, it was just time to stop. And... There's the hockey story and career of Val James. But what was his legacy in the end? Why was it that few people know his story? I think that's something that bears a lot more discussing and something that we'll uh, go over here coming up in the third period. In your book, your autobiography that just came out, yes. uh, you write, when I started skating, I set out to be a hockey player, not a black hockey player. Right. Do you think that in today's game, players of other ethnicities are, are facing a similar dilemma? They're, they're probably facing a similar dilemma, but you got, you got to realize that all the people probably got all those frustrations out when I came along, so it's, it's a little easier. It's not easy, but it's easier. And uh, I thank the fans of Rochester because I'm sure that they could hear through the broadcast all the stuff that was going down in the background, and they made me feel... Like uh, like I said, like family. They took care of me, made sure that I knew that they were behind me 100%, and I really appreciate that. And lastly, any words of encouragement for young players of, of all different types of ethnicities to, to get going and try to make it to a pro level? Well, first off, what they're going to have to do is they're going to have to treat each other right. They're going to have to listen. They're going to have to be determined, have dedication, execution, integrity, honor, and at least of all perseverance because if you don't persevere you're never going to go and and you don't want to stop short a week when you had if you had played that extra week you would have gotten your shot you know you don't ever have to go through life saying what if what if what if you know that's that's a horrible thing to have to do so what you heard right there is a interview with val and the rochester americans uh media uh when he came back for a recent uh, visit to to see the team and talk about his story and what really stood out to me right there and what we'll talk about is sort of kind of thinks about his legacy a little bit and is asked about it and it just kind of shows how he thinks things are getting better but he understands that things were pretty rough for him and but he was glad to go through it to to make things a little better for everybody now and uh, be able to sit back and reflect on it uh, now in this time and show that uh, hey things were things were bad but they're getting better and uh through his story, people can learn learn the way forward. So today, Val keeps a pretty low profile since he's been retired. Uh, he's uh, married and to a woman he met while he was playing in St. Catharines, and they, they both live in uh, Niagara Falls on the Ontario side of things, where he works as part of a maintenance crew at a water park resort. And it's kind of funny, he, like his father, he's making a living fixing things like uh, his dad used to do around the Long Island Arena and trying to build a good life for him and his family just 
just keeping it quiet, doing what he needs to do to get by. Uh, reading interviews with uh, Val you know, that have been published, especially recently, it seems like his low profile is how he prefers it. But don't let uh, this search of the quiet life fool you into thinking that he's not aware of the importance of his own story to the larger picture of diversity inside of hockey. He's proud of his accomplishments and wants others to be able to follow his path into uh, professional hockey. One particular statement that uh, has stuck out to me was in a recent July 2020 article in the Buffalo News that makes me think that Val's always been aware of this story and just really hoped to tell it all these years. He says, quote, I didn't get to stay as long as I wanted to, uh, referring to his time in professional hockey, but I still accomplished it, which ensured anyone of color that was coming behind me would get that second, third, or fourth look. I think that's really striking. Um, he's basically saying that uh, by the sacrifices that he made, he was basically opening people's hearts and minds to the ideas of uh, black uh, hockey players and what they could do and and making sure that they got that fair look that he maybe didn't get sometimes. That's uh, definitely a theme that's inside Black Ice for sure. Val was aware of his advancement up the hockey ranks as a black American, even though others weren't aware at some points. At every step, he knew what it meant for players of color and like he mentions many times in the book, he just loved to play hockey and wanted to play as long as he could. He was playing for himself, but he also knew what his perseverance up the ranks of hockey could do, what it meant for players of color. And that's obvious in that interview that you just listened to before this period. Still, why is it that many still don't know Val's story as widely as you'd think? That's a compelling question for sure. And I get that, while I get that, oh, you know, Willie O'Ree was the one who broke into the league almost 24 years before that, it seems like the NHL and the hockey community didn't really understand that in the frontier of diversity, there was still a lot more ground to cover at certain points. They're definitely waking up to that now, but I think back then it wasn't, uh, in the early 1980s especially, it wasn't really on the forefront of everybody's mind. I think that's why Val's entry into the NHL was so just unceremonious, to be honest. Uh, I think people just kind of figured, well, Ori already broke into the league and broke the color barrier. What's the big deal with this guy? Uh, I just don't think they understood the road it took him to get there and what he represented. Additionally, I think uh, two small things, not necessarily race-related, also contribute to the lack of response to Val's entry into the NHL. First was that he was American. Uh, that's not to say that you know uh, there's any prejudice there. It's just more of a fact because in the early 1980s the NHL didn't have a lot of Americans playing uh, in their ranks. As a matter of fact in 1981 the year Val debuted there were only 76 U.S. players compared to 524 Canadian players. At the time Americans were in the NHL but they were mostly an afterthought and that could explain why Val's being a black American uh, and being the first black American uh, was not really something that most people um, looked at as, as, as an accomplishment because they, they weren't really thinking about, about it because not a lot of Americans played hockey anyways at that point in the NHL. That doesn't excuse the issue, but it does add to the, this fact that when Val made his debut with the Leafs, they recognized him as the first black player in that franchise's history, which makes me think that the American part was simply not a thought to the Canadian-centric NHL in the 1980s. Um, because, like I said, there were other black players before Val. Uh, they, they, I just don't think people realize that, you know, A, Val was American, and B, that was important because there just wasn't a lot of Americans around. 
second, I think that another issue was uh, because Val was an enforcer, he just didn't garner the same response as a lot of others. While it can be said that in the 1980s, uh, the NHL enforcer was a huge part of any squad, it can also be said that they were just a dime a dozen with a lot of players coming up and down in and out of that role. Um, so when you've got a new enforcer coming up, maybe there's not as much, uh, you know, pomp and circumstance behind that because there's been plenty before them. It seems to me that uh, most simply Val was, was called up as a fighter and like I said, on temporary stints uh, that simply just didn't make a, people just didn't want to make a big deal out of it. Uh, and they just weren't really aware of or, or wanting to make a big deal of his race either. Uh, it, it, story inside the book of his debut really sticks out to me uh, as he explains uh, one of the reporters in Buffalo were actually surprised to see that he was black when he skated out for the warm-ups in his first uh, game. So that just shows you right there that it wasn't really on people's radars that before he arrived in, to play his first game in Buffalo that Val was black. I bring those point, points up not to make excuses, but just to add to some context to the possible causes of Val's accomplishment going largely unnoticed at the time. Still, to me, the fact that it was ignored at the time is a separate is separate from the reasons uh, it's been ignored since then. There's been other contributing factors, for sure. One of the big reasons uh, why uh, we really haven't talked about it till recently and like I said even as recently as this week is um, and the NHL was just frankly weak on diversity uh, like many institutions until really this past year sure they gave the obligatory obligatory nod to diversity and black hockey players by promoting a story and making him the director of the youth diversity task force in 1988 um, and I will say here that Aree's efforts on the task force are certainly one of the reasons you see many more players of color now in the NHL in the lower ranks. I don't want to take away from that. But what I am trying to say here is that the NHL could have done a much better job over the years of telling the stories of other pioneering black players like uh, Val James. The publication of Black Ice was also not until 2015 and largely didn't get a whole lot of big fanfare from the NHL. Sure, there were a few mentions of it in various newspaper outlets, when it was published, but aside from the February 20th, 19, uh, 2019 interview on the NHL Network that I showed you, I really couldn't find much uh, talking about the book right there. Um, and so there, and especially from the NHL's perspective. So officially from the NHL, where was the big celebration for James? I'd also add that before the book's publishing in 2015, there was next to nothing in any, request, any press reflecting on James's place in hockey history. But now his story seems to be gaining some traction and I hope we all will continue to tell it. Val's journey is one that teaches us all. For the players of color coming up, he puts the best perspective on what his story offers by telling the Buffalo News, quote, that racial abuse young players have to put up with hasn't changed since I was playing. When I was young, I got the same thing. I don't think young athletes are being schooled on how to handle it when this happens. His story can teach those young players for sure as he overcame racial bias at so many levels and endured in spite of it and used it to fuel his determination. So that's that's a good thing. He's, he's teaching the ones coming after him uh, what they need to do. Finally, I think Val's story teaches us all to remember the journey of another is not necessarily our journey. 
the obstacles that they've faced and who they are need to be respected. Most of all, we need to make sure we celebrate the overcoming of those obstacles and the opening of doors for others behind. I look at Val James's story as something that changes my whole look on the whole game and in really my whole life. We all want to be better, and if there's any good to come out of the racism that Val James encountered, it's that we can all vow not, vow not to let it happen again or anymore. So the answer to what is Val's legacy? He's a fighter, pure and simple, but moreover, he's a fighter who won. A fighter who, with his fists on the ice, took the hate and channeled it into a success. Overcoming odds and have, gaining success in the face of unfair bias is the basis of any great story, and that's the legacy of Val James. He didn't need the recognition because his story speaks for itself, and now it resonates louder than ever. When you came into the league, how much different was it to where we are now? And still, where do you want it to, to, to be in 10 years from now? Well, when I came into the league, you know, everyone was pretty much allowed to do whatever they wanted to do. And I think that the league has policed everything very well. They brought all of these, uh, making a lot of these people accountable for what they're doing and saying these days, which is, all, is, which is something that a lot of people weren't being... Uh, done to before like a lot of people could say what they wanted to say and get away with it now these days You say something like that, but you're gonna get suspended out of the ring for a while and uh, If you paid for a season ticket that equates to a lot of dollars yeah. And usually a lot of times you can't make change unless you hit somebody in the wallet and that's usually <laughs> how it goes, right? So what you heard there is an interview by Val um, with the Sabres in-game folks uh, during an intermission of a game where they had him back for a diversity event. And I really like that question because it just his answer was amazing how he describes it. It's not just about the players' opportunities now. It's also about how we see the games and how we deal with the instances of, uh, of racism that are being presented by fans and players. Um, and I think because if you read in Black Ice, that's one of the bigger threads is, is that people weren't punished for saying some of the the horrible things that they, they, they did to Val. And now they are. I mean, uh, as Val describes it, you could get find yourself uh, kicked out, banned from the arena, and that's not a great thing. So uh, even if it is just a matter of uh, getting people to be quiet based off of consequences, I think it's a good thing. So um, without further ado, uh, here's the post game. And uh, to start the wrap-up, I'd just like to say how much I really appreciated this book and the journey it took me on. I really enjoy hearing people's stories overall. Autobiographies are great, and uh, when they're uncensored, it's it's even better. It, it just tells you uh, what a person's journey was like. And hockey, hockey autobiography is almost always just pure enjoyment for me. Add that uh, to the fact that in Val's case is is so unique, and it's overlooked. Uh, it's just very topical to what we're, what we're thinking about these days when we think of race and hockey in the U.S. and Canada as a whole. And how can you not appreciate Black Ice after hearing this story and, and relating it to what we've been seeing inside the news lately and as we endeavor to uh, make diversity more of a part inside of hockey. I also really appreciated uh, the recaps told in a very uncentered dialogue. Like I said, lots of cussing, some some crude hockey stories mixed in there, but I think they're just central to showing you that Val James uh, 
you know, where what was the life he was leading at each level of hockey. Uh, the stories of his fights are detailed, and let's face it, uh, even, let's face it, even if uh, hockey in you know, especially in the minor leagues, it can be very gritty and it's very violent. So it's only fitting that Val describes it using very appropriate language uh, and does it in a very detailed way. Add that gritty and uncensored approach to telling his story and apply that to the instances of racism he experienced and you can quickly see uh, just the determination and the will of spirit that makes Val James and his story so great. So go and read Black Ice now. Go get it. You have to do it. If you're a hockey fan, you have to read this book. Uh, if you want to learn about what it means to be a black hockey player, this is a great place to start. I can honestly say I'll never look at the game or anyone's life uh, in the game quite the same after reading this book. And if I may add a quick bit of advocacy, please, after you read this book, remember Valmore James and tell his story for anyone who's listening or needs to hear it. And with that, I think it's about time to say, uh, to end this episode of From the Point. I hope you enjoyed your time here and really learned something just as I did reading this book and writing the script for this episode. If you like what you heard, take an extra minute to subscribe, subscribe on uh, uh, any of the major podcast uh, platforms that we're on. And uh, hit me up on Twitter if you got a second. Uh, my personal handle is at Lambert 17 or uh, if you want to be on the site's uh, podcast page it's at from the point ah1 so looking ahead to the next episode uh, we're going to examine a book that really goes in depth into uh, something that uh, another episode in hockey history that some may have forgotten but uh, is really important to the overall history of the game especially to the nhl and that's uh, the uh, it's a book about the new year's eve 1975 matchup between the toronto or between the Montreal Canadiens and the Soviet Red Army uh, team and what some have called the uh, greatest hockey game ever played. So stay tuned for the next episode. Todd Deneau's The Greatest Game is next on the schedule. Till then, stay classy, hockey fans.